0: You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit ShorebreakChurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at ShorebreakChurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. You can be seated. Hey, how's it? You guys doing all right? All right, hey! It's good to be back with you. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Travis, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And so, it's always an honor and privilege to be uh, in the word with you. The pastors, the other pastors, gave me a week of vacation, of which uh, my family and I were extremely grateful for. And so, we ventured, traveled long and far to the island of Maui. So. Uh, it is good to be back though. Um we I have some of my ohana actually lives uh, on Maui and Wailuku. And so, but it's really good to be back here with our church family and especially excited because today we begin a new series through God's word and so um want to invite you all to turn in Or turn on your Bibles to uh, the book of Philippians. And as you're making your way to Philippians, if you can throw your thumb in uh, and bookmark uh, Acts chapter 16 as well. We're going to be kind of going back and forth within these two chapters. Acts 16 and Philippians chapter 1. And uh, if you're new to the church, you're not sure what we're about as a church, our vision is simple. We exist Shorebreak exists all that we do on Sunday mornings and and beginning this week community groups and all the things that unfold as a church it is our heart's desire to make much of Jesus our vision is to amplify Jesus, and so um, if you're not sure what we're about, that is primarily what we're about. We, We love Jesus. We seek to adorn him and worship him and revel in him and focus on him because there's no one greater we could dedicate our attention to and our life towards than Jesus, God incarnate, who gives himself up as a sacrifice for you and for me, for our sins the satisfied wrath of God, so that we would come to know him. And it is my incredible and heavy responsibility to be the main teaching pastor. Um, I, I say heavy and incredible because like many other pastors, I am going to stand before God one day when I breathe my last and I am going to give an account to him on how well we fed, stewarded, and shepherded this church. And that, that's sobering. In fact, that's why Paul says, not many of you should desire to be teachers because there is an extra judgment on those who teach. There is extra judgment on those who declare the truths and the word of God to God's people. And it's been my prayer that your soul and your life would be renewed so that Jesus would be amplified in and through your life. And that this process of you becoming more like Jesus, of you growing in the gospel, would be fueled by this incredible and wonderful book of Philippians. Philippians is a book that fights for your joy. If you could sum up with one Word, the book of Philippians, it is joy. And so Paul, writing this letter, who is the author of Philippians, is trying to fight, trying to vie for the Philippians to find their joy ultimately in Jesus Christ. Joy is a theme that is uh, well woven throughout the New Testament. 59 times in the New Testament, joy is mentioned. 16 times Joy makes its way into Philippians. Jesus, or Jesus Christ, or Christ is mentioned 50 times in the book of Philippians. So you have joy being mentioned 16 times, Christ being mentioned uh, 60 times. And when you put these two together, when you, when you blend these all together together, it shows that you cannot have true joy without knowing Jesus Christ. And when we say joy, we're not talking about when you when you you know open up your gifts from Christmas that maybe you're still getting a buzz after, or if not, probably for the majority of you, it's already gone, right? Christmas, oh right, whatever. You know my kids are already playing with the cardboard boxes and have moved on from their toys. Joy is fleeting, or at least not eternal joy. Temporary happiness is what many of us pursue, but that's not what Paul, and that's not what I mean when we say joy. We are talking about unending eternal joy from the God of the universe. You cannot have joy without Jesus Christ. And this is the case that Paul makes, and he's going to make as we will see in the next, yes, several months that we will make our way through the book of Philippians. Philippians. Philippians talks about what it looks like to have so much affection for Jesus that all of your purpose, that all of your being is fueled by the joy in knowing Jesus. And so if you are in a season of life where you need more joy, your life is depleted of joy. It is no accident that you are here and it's no accident that we are going through this book because this is true for me as well. Philippians also talks about what it looks like to grow in the gospel. There's no rebuke, actually, for the Philippian church here in this letter. One of the few, if not the only book that Paul has ever written where there is no rebuke to the Philippian church, or to any church for that matter, specifically the Philippian church. Philippians seeks to reveal to us what does maturity in Jesus Christ look like for the Christian How can you know you're growing in maturity in Jesus Christ? Whether you're 80 or whether you're eight, we should all be growing in maturity in Jesus Christ. And of course, the answer to that is joy. It's joy. You cannot separate knowing Jesus and joy. They're inseparable. Joy is something that overtakes you when Jesus becomes your King, Because there is joy in knowing Jesus. And so the next several months of us going through Philippians will be joy straight from the tap of the pen of Paul to our hearts off the pages of this book. So let's all stand for the reading of God's word. If you are able to stand. Philippians chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints and Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God, King of all, glorious and wonderful, the source of joy. May we revel in you this morning. May we come to understand the beauty and the book of Philippians by the Holy Spirit. Showing us Jesus. And that as we look at the background of you intricately taking all of these things and putting them together to create this unique story of the birth of the church of Philippi. That we would take and see and walk away with your desire for all people, your compassion towards all races, all social statuses that the gospel this morning would so invade our life that our that there'd be a takeover for Jesus this morning, God. We want to see you made much of. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to be faithful with the scriptures that you have for us this morning, that we would not listen to a mere opinion of a sinful man, but that, God, we would hear from you holy and perfect and that you would renew our our minds, that we would be changed, that we would grow in the maturity of knowing you, and that begins with gospel transformation. So as we endeavor in this new series, we ask your blessing upon it. We ask your blessing upon this service and this time as we are in your word, God. And it's in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. What is something only God can do? What is something only God can do? And I know that's a pretty loaded question. God can create something out of nothing. That is something only God can do. Can you create something out of nothing? We cannot. I mean, think about the most brilliant Intellects, Einstein. Think about creative geniuses, Johnny Ives who works at Apple computers. Think about the craftiest of artists, whether it be the Picassos and Van Goghs. They can all create and most definitely have they created some beautiful pieces of artwork or incredible inventions or new discoveries. But as amazing as all of those people and more are, can they create something out of nothing? No. They have to borrow from what already exists. They have to use material and matter that was given from God from the beginning. For example, Picasso, as great as he is, can he invent a new primary color? Not at all. Can Carl, our worship leader, can Carl come up here and stand and, and play music and then decide, oh, I'm just going to create new musical notes. We're going to go all the way to Z. Of course not. There is no way you can add new musical notes. It's, it is what it is. It's what we have to work with. It's what God has given us because no man can create something out of nothing. Paul makes this point in Romans 4.17. Romans 4.17, Paul says, speaking of of Abraham, promise that was given to Abraham, which we know Abraham, old man, 100 years old. God promises this 100-year-old man you're going to be the father of many nations because that's how God rolls. He likes to do things crazy like that. He says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of, of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Chew on that for a moment. You can't, can you? I can't. I don't even know that totally what that means. You call into existence the things that do not exist. That's what God does. And in Romans 4.17, not only is this true for creation, but this includes the work of salvation. Now this is important. Because before there was a church in Philippi, and before there was a letter written by Paul to, this chur- to the church in Philippi, there was a man named Paul. This man named Paul was on an adventure 20 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. A group of travelers walked off of the ship from the harbor of Neapolis. They had just come from Troas. Their adventure continued and they would hike 10 miles inland to the city, the rather large city of Philippi. But this group of travelers wasn't just any group of travelers It was the Avengers or the A-team, you could say, of God's people. It was Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. These missionaries were uh, stirring up ruckus everywhere they went. So it's not like these guys were just kind of causing some problems locally. Eventually, Acts would record that the problems these people were doing because they are so dedicated to following Jesus that they were stirring up problems in the name of Jesus of the gospel around the world. This is the team that, that is going to Philippi, hiking in from the harbor of Neapolis, stirring up ruckus all around the world. And so uh, turn to Acts 16. Um, and we're going to be making our way through Acts 16, and we're going to pick it up in verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside. So they're in Philippi now, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, and she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So these missionaries... Probably not even sure where they're going to go. We're, like, oh, we're going to go over here. There's, we're going to go out towards the city gates by the riverside. There's a place of prayer happening. We'll go check out, see what's going to happen. And Paul is ready in season and out of season to declare the gospel whenever he needs to declare the gospel. And so they show up there and they meet this woman named Lydia. We're told that she is from Thyatira, which meant she would have been Asian. We're told she's a seller of purple goods. And so she invites Paul and his boys to crash uh, at her vacation home. <laughs> Lydia is this seller of purple goods, which really means she's involved in fashion. Um, she had an eye for fashion. She uh, owned this, this business, and so she has very deep pockets. She is loaded financially. She has a house in Thyatira. We know that. She has a house here in Philippi, which was, uh, you know, uh, probably a vacation home. When she got bored of being in Thyatira, she would go to the beautiful city of city of Philippi, and and her home was nice, right? She she did not have a small home at all. Much like if you were to drive up the road and go see some of the homes. Um, and who will lie in those areas? That 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 was Lydia. That was her income. That was um, and notice there's no putting down of her income. If she's wealthy, praise God. God's given her wealth. We know every good thing comes from above. And this is a gift that God has given to her. And we are told that this wealthy woman worshipped God. So this means she is spiritual. That she did not worship the pagan gods. She did not worship the, the pagan gods that were worshipped then. Uh, Rome, if you know, was a was well-established government. More of an empire, actually. Ruling the entire world at this time. And Caesars would demand to be worshipped. On top of that, the, the Roman gods that were worshipped were all tied to parts of creation. There was Jupiter, which is the main god, which was the god of thunder. Neptune, of course, the god of the sea. And they also worshipped Vulcan, which was the god of fire and volcano, um, much like Pele for, for us here in the islands. But this woman named Lydia, with all the wealth that she has, has come to believe that there is one God, and that this one God is supreme and worthy to be praised above all the other gods. She is trying to live a moral life. She is trying to be a good person. And she has come to hear the scriptures and to make sense of what she does not yet understand. And so Paul shows up really to this, it almost seems like there's some women getting together maybe. I don't know if they're thrown in Beth Moore or you know, sitting down opening up their, their Bibles and, and kind of reading. And Paul goes in, opens up the Bible and just starts declaring gospel truth on them. And, and, and of course, Lydia, though she was pressing into religion, was not worshiping pagan gods, was, was not born again. She did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. She had not been transformed by the gospel. Even with all of her success, her eye for fashion, can she create something out of nothing? Can she fulfill the desire that was given by God with anything but God? She can't create a new purple. She can create shades of purple. She can't create a new purple. She can't make sense of her life even with all of her wealth because no one can make something out of nothing. And this is where we need the gospel to kickstart and awaken our desire. This is where the gospel comes in, where we were dead and our trespasses and sins and rebellion against God. The gospel comes in and invades our life. Our eyes are opened up to the truths of the glories of God. We respond and repent and worship and faith in God. Out of nothing, God can create something. Out of the nothing of our lives, we are dead. God can create something beautiful. This is the gospel. And so Paul explains the gospel to her and her heart is opened up. Look at Acts sixteen fourteen, Beautiful verse. The Lord opened up her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Even when I pray for our church on Sunday morning, for those who maybe don't know Jesus, because I'm not naive enough to think that everyone in here has a relationship with God. So My prayer is not that you would hear me and then I would open up your heart, but that the Lord would open up your heart. Much like Lydia. So the Lord opens up the heart of Lydia. She repents. She believes in Jesus. She then is baptized because of it. It's when the gospel is declared, hearts are opened by God. And what is sad, and many churches that people are attending, the gospel is not declared. And so instead of hearts being opened up, hearts are being hardened in pursuit of something spiritual, not even knowing it. This is why it's been our pursuit and our desire as a church from the beginning to declare the gospel. Because it's it's the gospel that takes the heart of stone and melts it into a heart of flesh. It's God who opens hearts. It's the gospel truth, the avenue of his word of which God has chosen to do this work. Foolish, I know. God, why would you use me and and your word in this setting to, to do this beautiful transaction? Well, I don't fully know, but it's his plan. It's his desire. It's what he wants to do. Even though she had all these things Speaking of Lydia, it wasn't until Jesus that she can make sense of her life. Listen, apart from Jesus, you will not be able to make sense of your life. Even as a Christian, if you have Jesus, which a lot of us do, okay, I got my Jesus, put him on the side, I'm going to pursue some of the things that I desire in my life. Even with Jesus, often when we take our eyes off of him and live for our we still have a hard time trying to make sense of, of life. But like Paul, like Lydia, like anyone, we cannot do what Romans 4.17 says, that God gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. It's awesome. So what does this have to do with Philippians? Lydia was the first convert in the church in Philippi. Right here, in verse 14, and 15 of Acts, the church is birthed with a whopping five people. (laughs) Then her whole household gets saved, we read, Lydia opens up her home for the church to have a place to meet. Now I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that for Paul, being a tent maker, Lydia's pad is a pretty sweet deal. Amen? You know what? Paul's like, oh, sure. Oh, are you sure, Lydia? Boys, come on. Let's go, right? She got the jacuzzi tub. We can rest. We can, you know, whatever. I mean, they, it was a beautiful home. And so she opens up this home. They start Bible studies. They, the church is birthed in this home. Eventually, the church would outgrow the home. But it begins with a wealthy person and we've joked as pastors god brought along a wealthy person who had a heart for church planning it wouldn't hurt us at all i'm kidding sort of and this is how the church begins what what happens next within the church plan is so strange it's kind of sweet right now right kind of eclectic oh, let's, let's keep it man it's kind of be you no know, verse 16 let's go let's keep rolling uh as we were going to the place of prayer So they're going there again and they're they're evangelizing more. They're sharing the gospel more. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. This is weird, right? this demonic, this demonically possessed teenage girl is walking around following Paul and Silas and Lydia and and this young church as they're going around proclaiming the gospel, shouting above them saying, these men are telling you the truth about Jesus. Like, why would a demon do that? Well, a demon has to proclaim the truths of God because they know who God is, though they, they do not repent. And probably one of my most favorite verses in the Bible, um, verse 18, and she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, <laughs> said, turn and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Wow. But when her owners saw that their hope of grain, gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragging them into the marketplace before the rulers. It just shows you how strange things were in Philippi. On the one hand, you have a wealthy spiritual, intelligent, older lady named Lydia from Thyatira who was an Asian. Now there is a demon-possessed chick who is not wealthy. She is a slave girl. She is very spiritual, but in the complete wrong sense, and she was a Greek. And the same God who opened up the heart of this wealthy lady Opens up the heart and delivers this possessed slave girl from her oppression, and she immediately experiences the glory of God. Second salvation in the church. God opens up the hardest of hearts by the power of the gospel. Do you see that Jesus, do you see that the gospel is not interested in fixing the moral decay of your life? Like when it came to Lydia. And when they declared the truths of the gospel to Lydia, they weren't saying, hey, let's see if we can kind of just coach you a little bit. Man, you're, you're already on your, your way to becoming spiritual. Let's just kind of use that and let's kind of play it a little bit. Use some of her wealth as leverage and just say, you know, instead of spending your money on this, why don't you spend your money on this and stop doing this and stop doing this, stop doing this. Or going up to this girl, this slave girl who is just, you know, possessed by a demon, and he doesn't go up to her and say, you should stop doing that, you should stop, why don't you get away? They cut immediately to the issue of the heart. The gospel and Jesus Christ is not concerned with you trying to fix your outward morality. The gospel cares about your heart. Jesus wants to cut straight to the heart of the matter, which is your heart. Because apart from Christ... Our hearts are deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can understand it? We don't know our heart. We can't even comprehend it. I, still to this day, try not to interpret what's happening in my heart because it can deceive me. Now, while the gospel brings life to dead men, the gospel offends men who love darkness. Let's keep going. What's going to happen at this church plant of Philippi? And when they had brought them to the magistrates, so remember now, these people, these, these owners who were making a, making a killing off this girl, they've lost their income now. So they're upset. They seize Paul, take him in. Verse 20, they had brought them to the magistrates and they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. Oh, how awesome would it be that for the glory of God, you would be known for disturbing our city and this island for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Seriously. No, not, not obnoxiously, not annoyingly, but in love. It's funny though, Paul actually did this out of annoyance. You have to wonder at this point. Paul's like, man, why did I cast out that demon girl? Like I did it out of annoyance, and now they're they're gonna land in prison, you'll see. If these men are Jews, they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. From that to that in a moment. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in their stocks. Well, that was a smooth plant start to this church plan, was it not? So Paul and Silas are in shackles It's midnight. We don't have time to continue on reading, but I'll summarize for you. They begin to worship God at midnight. Beaten, battered bodies in prison for casting out, out of annoyance, a demon out of a girl. Praising God. Earthquake happens. Jail doors open. And the guard who was sitting at the jail, we know was, of course, Roman, because they're sitting in a Roman prison here, Philippian jailer thinks they've escaped. And for, and the Philippian, I'm sorry, the, the Roman jailer thinks they've escaped from this prison in Philippi, and, and so he takes his sword and leans his body over it, about to let go of his feet, because if he lost a prisoner, it was his life. And Paul says, nope, don't do it. We're still here. And this man trembles. Hearing their worship songs, but not just hearing the songs, not hearing the name of Jesus from their lips, but seeing the example that they set with their life. What must I do to be saved? Says the Philippian, says this Roman jailer. Paul says, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And this is the beginning of the gospel takeover. Third salvation. These are crazy, interesting, strange people. Like left, you got a Greek girl, a wealthy, rich woman named Lydia, and and now you have this, this Roman guard. This is the beginning of the gospel takeover in Philippi. The name of Jesus is beginning to occupy the hearts of those in this city, and the church explodes and continues to grow. So now let's go back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. We read, we'll read here in a minute. From an Asian to a Greek and to now a Roman soldier, the gospel has invaded their life and has broken down all social barriers, all financial, gender, and racial boundaries, all those things destroyed by the gospel so that they would know the joy there is in loving Jesus. And this has been my prayer for our church, that we would be a church that represents the island. Because the gospel breaks through and invades race, gender, social status, and wealth. I mean, do you think there is any other place all of us would get together in the same room right now? Not, probably not a chance. Like, if you think about this, what would, what would, imagine this. You have a buff Roman soldier, okay? I mean, th- this Roman soldier who got saved, big, buff, strong guy. What do you think? What are the chances are you think he's hanging out with Lydia? A purple fashionista, right? <laughs> I'm serious. Lydia's like, hey, you want to come over from tea? Why don't you bring the family? He's like, all right, let's do this. You know, it's like, uh... That doesn't happen apart from the gospel, right? Because the gospel breaks down all of these barriers and builds a community that is built upon Jesus. This is our unity. This is what binds us. This is what holds us together. And so uh, when Paul, the author of the book of Philippians, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says in verse 1 Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints, and Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi. You know who he's thinking about right now, right? To all the saints. Paul's thinking of Lydia. Paul's thinking of the Roman soldier. Paul is thinking of this Greek slave girl who is now freed. And he loves them. And he cares for them. the roman soldier would then his family would be saved and do you see that nothing can stop the gospel jesus said i will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevent prevail against it he adds to the church daily those who are being saved nothing can slow down jesus Nothing at all. In fact, this has been our prayer that as we press into what God would have for us, that as long as we stay focused on Jesus and our foundation is the gospel, man, what could God do through our church and our, our ohana and this, and this family that he is beginning to build and, and put together? So think of your life right now. Think of the most stubborn person you know. Think of the craziest sinner, the wildest partier. Think of the biggest airhead or the most introvert person you know. Are they too far from the reach of the gospel? If Acts 16 tells us anything, it shows us that the gospel invades race, intellect, popularity, big or small, anyone's spirituality, and we are all leveled at the foot of the cross because no barriers are too difficult for God to break down. So God turns each of these people into saints. And so we read here in verse one, Paul's affection for the church in Philippi. Paul loves the church in Philippi, and the church in Philippi loves Paul. Notice what he says here. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. The word for servants there means slave. Paul considers himself in the eyes of God and to these people, a slave of Jesus Christ that at the inception of this letter and this book, Paul declares that he is owned by someone greater. He declares that he is not his own, that his life is not for his to protect, his life is not for his to live for his own self-glory, but he is a slave, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He viewed himself as he should, low, humble servant of all, If Paul viewed himself this way, and Paul is better than all of us in here. Like, people would touch his shadow and his cloak and they would be healed. Just look at the letters. He, he wrote a majority of the New Testament. If Paul considers himself this way, how do we then consider Ourselves. How do you view your life? How do I view my life? Are we self-absorbed? Do we view ourselves too highly? Or do you consider yourself a slave to Jesus Christ? To be a Christian is to be a slave of Jesus Christ. But it's not a slave in the sense that we don't want to be, but that we love in doing so. Again, this book is for our joy. I can't wait in the weeks to come to begin to unpack what this all means Are you bought by his blood? Are you owned by Jesus? Are you loved by Jesus? Do you serve Jesus? Do you love Jesus? We are either slaves to Jesus Christ or slaves to our own sin. See, what a servant does, a true servant does, is count all that he has and considers it to be his master's. You see that the gospel is not just a hall pass from hell. It is deliverance from self-absorption and pride. You and me, we we are our worst enemy. Because we are sinful people. The gospel delivers us from our, ourselves. And so Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Jesus Christ who are at Philippi with overseers and deacons. We'll get into that more in weeks to come. We'll come back to that. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's desire that through this letter, they and Philippi, the Christians, would experience the grace and peace in knowing Jesus. The effect of the gospel, the effect of grace overwhelming your life, will result in peace. The effect of the gospel, the effect of God's grace overwhelming your life will result in peace. And so to look anywhere else for peace will leave your soul restless. And when we say grace, we mean unmerited favor from God. It is the unmerited favor from God that makes you at peace with God. See, the aftermath of God looking upon sinful man and loving them anyways, that is grace. And that is what Paul says. We'll, 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 we'll touch it later on. Paul's conversion story alone is incredible. But let me ask you in closing, are you aware of the grace of God? If you lack peace, it's because you've lost sight of grace. Because grace, Paul says, to you and peace from God. You can only find grace and you can only find peace from God. May you know the grace and the peace of God this morning. And as we're going to continue studying through Philippians and as we lean into what it means to know the joy and knowing Jesus, maybe some of you do not have grace and peace this morning. You've searched, you've tried, you still don't have it. And that's because you're trying to tap into something which you cannot give yourself. Because you cannot create something out of nothing. That's something only God can do. And so come to God this morning. Experience his grace and his peace because it is out of the nothing of your life can God create something beautiful. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Prince of Peace, the God of Grace, may we come to know your peace by looking at the unmerited gift you've given us, your Son Jesus. May we be transformed by the gospel, seeing and observing that the gospel transformed Lydia, this Roman soldier, and this Greek slave girl. And then as you called them into life, not only did you save them from eternal condemnation, in the lake of fire, but you brought us into relationship with one another that we would live in community to be known and to know others. To push one another on in spiritual gifts. The laying on of hands and the breaking of bread and the making of disciples. God, as we're taking this time to pray with every head bowed, with eyes closed, if there is someone in here who does not know your grace and your peace, like Lydia, would you open up their hearts so that they would see you and so that they would respond to you in faith and believing in you? Would they know that all their pursuits, whether it be trying to make ends meet, trying to be a good citizen or even trying to be spiritual and, and do the right moral thing, that apart from you, all of those things leave us with nothing. And if that's you this morning, respond to God with your life. Lay your life down and say, God, I, I, I'm, I'm your slave. I'm your slave. I'm your bondservant. I'm giving up of myself. All that I have, I count it as rubbish to knowing you. Take all of me. Use me for your glory. I repent from my sin and believe in you. Lord Jesus, thank you for you giving up of yourself for us. May you use this church, may you use the lives of every person here this morning to stir up our island and our city so that people would come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord, and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.